Hi, everyone. Just wanted to give you a content warning. The listener question today talks about death and suicide. If this show isn't for you, that's totally okay. We'll see you on Thursday. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Monday, August 15th, the What to Talk About When We Talk About Suicide edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's eight, and Teddy, who's five. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm Zach Rosen. I make the Best Advice Show podcast. I have two kids. My oldest, Noah, is almost five, and my youngest, Ami, is almost two. We live in Detroit. And I'm Eamon Ismail. My son is just over one years old. I do not host a parenting podcast, but my experience includes cleaning, making bottles, rocking babies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we live in Newark, New Jersey. You're officially now like a friend of the pod. Beyond friend of the pod. <laughs> Frequent contributor. <laughs> I think your uncle or cousin of the pod or something. I think yeah. Oh, I do like that. <laughs> Lying to his nephews. I if mom and dad are fighting, I'm the, the uncle who's over playing PlayStation. <laughs> mom and dad and uncle are fighting. That's what we're calling it now. You're our uncle. You're back. <laughs> well, today's question is actually one of our most asked topics. We're going to be talking about death. Our letter writer just had a friend pass away from a possible overdose or possibly a suicide and wants to know how to address it with her children. But first, we're opening up the mailbag. We got so many comments about one fact in our episode, Hygiene is Not Negotiable. Here are a few of your letters. Dear Mom and Dad, I'm just catching up on a few back episodes and had a response to Hygiene is Not Negotiable. I wanted to dwell on the note about tick checks being recommended by the camp. A grubby night without a shower is one thing, but tick-borne illness is very serious. An eight- and five-year-old are big enough to learn to check their own armpits and genitals and each other's backs and heads. It would be great to get the co-parents' eyes on the kiddos' heads, but this is a great age for them to learn to wash their hands, then check all over with those hands, and then wash them again. Use correct anatomical terms and stress that finding a tick can be scary, but not telling a grown-up if they find a tick can lead to getting quite sick and maybe becoming allergic to hamburgers, if that might motivate them. Best, the listener formerly known as Picking Fights With Your Kid Edition, and more recently known as Oh My Gosh, We All Moved In Together Edition. Hi, I just listened to your last episode about hygiene. The one thing I think you missed is the fact that the kids aren't getting a tick check at night after day camp while at the other parent's house. Tick bites can cause ongoing issues. My mother-in-law ended up on a ventilator from tick-borne illness. I know neither of my kids could have done a tick check at five or even eight. I agree that the letter writer should probably not try to change the custody agreement through the court, but a tick check should be mandatory each night. Thanks. Thank you, tick people. This does not tick us off because this is important. Skip the shower, do a tick check. We're in complete agreement. Tick check, don't stop. I just wanted to say Thank you so much for writing. People listen so closely, and it's so wonderful to get these emails. Thank you. No, and we like to hear what we missed. We are certainly not the end-all, be-all. We're just three people doing our best, and we don't want anyone to miss their tic checks. So thank you so yep. much for writing in for this and all the other amazing engagement. We do read all of your emails and answer and share as many of them as we can. So keep sending stuff. If you can write to us at slate.com, you can also send us a voicemail by recording a voice memo and emailing it in to slate.com. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to hear today's question. 
We're back and let's hop into our listener question of the day. Take it away, Shasha. Dear mom and dad, I could use some help explaining the death of a close friend to my 10 and 12 year old. While I don't need to explain the details, they are old enough and smart enough to fill in the blanks, and I don't want the unsaid to be worse than the truth. We lost him to an OF, possibly a suicide. They are going to ask how he died, and saying, I don't know, seems scary, like maybe they would worry that they or someone in the family could mysteriously die with no reason. Suicide is horrific in and of itself, and we don't really know if it's the case. I guess I'll go with it's very sad and not encourage questions, but I just remember being that age and filling in the holes left by adults with batshit crazy ideas. Do I just tell them that sometimes people we love do heartbreaking things? How can I be reassuring and honest at the same time? Life is complicated. Zach, what do you think? First of all, I'm so sorry for your loss. This is tragic and awful and terrible and sad. And your kids are old enough, 10 and 12, to feel these feelings along with you, in my opinion. 10 and 12 is old enough to learn about suicide. And talking to kids about suicide doesn't make them suicidal. That's the most important thing we can do, is to talk about it, to destigmatize it, to sadly just normalize that this is a phenomena in the world and that this happens. And so being reassuring and honest is indeed possible. And like you said, people we love do heartbreaking things. That's that's a great place to start, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, one piece of advice that I'm also giving to myself is that I need to trust my own instincts more, you know? And, and mm. something like this is really hard. And my instinct is to almost protect my kids from those feelings because I know how difficult they are for me. And just because that's true, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't also like share that with them. You, you don't really know how they're going through it either. And, and I'm realizing the more we stick to ourselves, the more alone that could feel. And I think this also applies for adults and just how we are wanting to protect others from how difficult things can get. But, you know, this could be a real opportunity for you to not only help your kids understand something really important, but to help you go through it too. I mean, this can't be an easy time mm-hmm. for you either. I can't imagine it is. So I think this is a really great opportunity for some real family catharsis. And I think you hit on such an important point, which is that like when we feel overwhelmed, it's like sometimes we don't want to engage with our kids because it's hard for us. And then we're also thinking like, hey, we're going to protect them from this feeling instead of viewing it mm-hmm. as an opportunity to to be the people to help them process this instead of them turning to someone else. And with so many of these issues, like I know you guys write in about death all the time because it's super scary and it's like a guaranteed in life and like it's scary to kids and it's scary to adults. And I think that's the mm-hmm. thing. There's so many things where mm-hmm. we're like, oh, you can see the bright light in things. And it's very hard to do that with death, particularly in a suicide or even an overdose where it is surrounded in this like shame and silence and this idea that this is something we don't talk about. And so I think if you can give your kids permission to talk about it, it will launch you into a relationship where you can talk about mental health and you can talk about these scary things together. I want to recommend this book called Breaking the Silence by Linda Goldman, and it's a book about complicated deaths. But she actually provides like the definition of suicide she thinks that you should use with your children. And I thought it was just really wonderful, which she says, 
Suicide is when people decide that they do not want their body to work anymore and they stop their body from working. They are so, so sad or so, so angry or so, so depressed that their mind becomes mixed up. They forget that they can get help and there's always another way. So one, I think making it so that they can understand that it's also not the only option and opening that up, but conveying to your children that the that the person that this happened to essentially was suffering from a disease, like be that depression as a disease or, or addiction as a disease, and this was the result of the disease. Um, because I think the reason it has this stigma is we feel like this is a choice they made as a sound-minded mm-hmm. person. Yeah. And in many of these cases, it is not. Like, we don't feel the same stigma when we say, like, somebody died of cancer. This is the same thing. Like, someone died of depression yeah. or they died of addiction or they died of this other thing that was affecting them. And so I, I think framing it like that makes it feel less like, how do I tell my kids about this? Because you would tell them these other diseases so if you can say, you know, we think this is what's happening, but being clear allows you to be the source of the information and the person they're coming to instead of them going and digging it up or overhearing a conversation you have on the phone with one of your friends about it. And now, mm-hmm. you know, it becomes this thing that they have all these questions like, wait, taking medicine can kill me, you know, like as opposed to saying like, well, this is kind of what happened and answering their questions. Now, you don't have to answer everything. And I think it is okay to say, I don't know. Um, It's also okay to say, I don't feel comfortable sharing like the exact details. It's just an adult conversation. Those are all okay answers. But I just really encourage you to not feel like telling them this stuff is going to somehow put the idea of suicide in their head, because I think you can have this conversation and also have it be this teaching moment that emphasizes that like suicide is not a solution and that there are other options, but also that people suffer from things that make them believe that this is the only choice. Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. And just zooming out to just the death talk in general, not even necessarily suicide, but I think just the more matter of fact we can be, the more comfortable these conversations become. And it's really hard and awkward. Like I was just at a funeral for, um, an amazing person who died at they were 92 and so it was like it was time they had been suffering and it was good finally that they weren't suffering anymore and just like so many of us myself included adults like still don't know how to comfort people comfort mourners and i just feel like ripping the band-aid off on this conversation is like so crucially important for for us to practice that you know myself included i'm not great at it but just like yeah, they died. Death is inevitable. I think this is just so important. And of course, the suicide conversation is much more nuanced. And you spoke beautifully to yeah. it, Elizabeth. But like, just talk about death. Just talk about death. You know, and one other thing I want to add is that just think about the reward for a second. Think about how valuable of an experience this could be for you and for your family to talk about this. I, I find that all of the things that are difficult to talk about in my family and in my life are hangups that came from not really having any body in my life for me to model those kinds of conversations after. These aren't conversations that I had with my family ever. We never talked about suicide. It takes a lot of courage to sit your kids down and have this conversation with them, but think about how much easier it'll be for them when they grow up if they have choose to have kids, uh, how much easier it will be for them to have that conversation with them, how to break that cycle 
which is so important that we do, but it's just going to make everything easier down the line in ways that I think it'd be hard for us to even imagine right now. Also that you've opened the door that you're willing to talk about it should they ever be thinking about it. Like that it's not this taboo topic, right? Like you're essentially saying to them, I'm here to talk about the hard things. Mm-hmm. Be that about our friends or about yourself. I don't like that. That's kind of the subconscious message. Yep. And amen, you're so right. Like if you can get through the conversation thinking like this is hard, but the payoff is big. I think that's a really great way to think about it. Oof. <sighs> well, yeah. life is complicated. I just want to echo that we're so sorry for your loss. And we really hope that this helped. Everyone else, I am sure that a bunch of you have dealt with this in the past or are dealing with it now. And we'd love to hear um, anything that you did that helped or how you broached this conversation with your kids. Or if you're choosing not to have it, we'd, we'd love to hear that as mm-hmm. well. So uh, we like to hear all the things. You can email us at slate.com or, of course, record yourself on a voice memo and send that to us. It's finally time for recommendations. This is the part of the show where we talk about stuff we think you should check out. So, Amon, since you're our, our <laughs> visiting uncle this week. <laughs> I like cousin. I think cousin. Yeah. Oh, cousin. Cousin. We're going to say cousin? Cousin? Okay. okay. Yeah. Welcome to mom and dad and cousin are fighting. <laughs> okay. So, this is a really, really big one. I like to have plants around in my house. I have a lot of florals and, you know, some orchids and some just evergreen stuff. I just like having green inside. But having a baby around is tough with all of these hazards because every time uh, he puts his hand into one of these pots, he just gets a fistful of dirt and it ends up everywhere, sometimes in his mouth, and it's just a mess. Uh, but for me, more importantly than that, it hurts my plants and I really won't stand for it. So I've been trying to mm-hmm. research ways to get him to stop. How do I get my son to not torture and kill my plants. And one thing that I found to be really, really, I mean, I don't know if it's working or not yet, but it makes me feel better, is putting some plastic plants. I went to the store and I got a whole bunch of fake plants that come with pots. And it's just, it's a life changer. I don't feel so terrible when he grabs a plastic leaf and rips it off. Fine, whatever. But I'm also trying to take his hand and motion gently, be like, well, that's, I'm not trying to say, like, don't do that. I'm saying, here's how you do it. And practicing with the plastic pants has been oh, a life changer. Oh, I like this. I feel so much immense pain when I'm like trying to recover these plants that, have, that I got from Home Depot for five bucks because they were dying. And I'm getting them to, to grow and grow. And then a whole stem disappears and I find it on the floor and a, next to a pile of dirt. It's, it hurts so bad. But you know, it's trying to teach him with plastic plants and show him that this is stuff that's like pretty and you're supposed to just gently glide your hand across. And oh, wow, doesn't that look great? Wow, yeah. you hear that sound? You know, and uh, just since doing that, he went to one of my favorite plants, which I've constantly told him not to mess with. And he did the exact same motion. He just sort of glided his hands, let the leaves bristle against his fingers. And he looked and he smiled and he can't talk yet, but he was saying to me, dad, I'm doing it. And that felt, it, it's working. Oh, So, yeah. yeah, if you have plants. The plastic practice plants. Practice plastic plants. <laughs> plastic plant plants. That's, like, such a good cheap. idea. And you're, like, raising, I feel like also you're, like, raising this plant lover. Like, subconsciously, you're like, this is something I love, and I want to teach mm-hmm. you how yeah. to love it, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also modeling for him a kind of touch that's okay, right? So, with his cousins, mm. 
I mean, he's never like hit them before, but he used to have a real problem. Touch them like a plant. <laughs> yeah, he does. He like sort of brushes his hair, you know, China touches his hands, messes with their toes. And he'll every single time he'll look at me and give me that same smile of like, see, you know, it's working. Oh my gosh. I love that. You're going to have the best toddler. I feel like there are so many great gardening things when they're toddlers, like putting seeds mm. in the window and things like that, that like all kids love. But having like a parent, you know, like dad loves plants and we're doing these things is going to add this um, because that's like kind of the first thing your kid can care for. Like we do Mm. a lot of gardening because it's something they can do and care for and a plant can really tolerate, you know, like if it gets a little bit too much water and then you just don't remind your kid to water it for a few days. Like there's a bunch of stuff you can do and they can learn to care for this thing and see it grow. So I feel like you're just like setting up for those good plant parent toddler years. (laughs) I can't wait for them to eat an apple and we like pick out the seeds and we put them in the, the fridge and let them yeah. germinate for however many months. And, you know, I think you that. could do a children's book. Dad loves plants. Oh, my gosh. Ooh. I'd read it. I'll need to hire a ghostwriter because I'm so busy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, I love it. You heard it here first. We're looking for a ghostwriter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Email, Email mom, mom and dad are fighting. At Slate.com and we'll put you in. We'll put you in touch. <laughs> <laughs> do not email mom and dad or cousin it's mom and dad or <laughs> yeah we don't know where that goes <laughs> that email is still pending <laughs> as i rush to gmail to get it no just kidding um, <laughs> zach what are you recommending i'm recommending a book that my cousin found in the free bin and gave to me i never heard of it i find it hilarious it's a children's book but it's not for children it's for adults it's called you have to fucking eat. Do you know about this book? No, but I. Mm. this has to be by the same guy from Go the Fuck to Sleep. Yep, this is the sequel. I didn't know there was a sequel. This is the sequel. <laughs> it's called You Have to Fucking Eat by Adam Monsbach, illustrated by Owen Brosman. And I'll just read a couple pages to you because it's really short and really hilarious. So it's illustrated like a children's book, but you probably shouldn't read it to your kids. This is why, because this is what it says. The sunrise is golden and lovely. The birds chirp and twitter and tweet. You woke me up and asked for some breakfast, so why the fuck won't you eat? Mm. The bunnies are munching on carrots, the lambs nibble grasses and bleat. I know you're too hungry to reason with, but you have to fucking eat. And it just goes on. It's just a meditation on how frustrating it is when your kids won't eat, which is, uh, it resonates with me deeply. Very funny. Thank you for the laughs. You have to fucking eat. Recommend. Do you have kids that won't eat? (laughs) I do. I mean, all children. Yes. Noah, um... We'll just like skip meals sometimes, and I just have to remember that mm. she just doesn't have to be hungry the second I tell her to be hungry. She's good for the most part, but she's gotten better too. And back to Dad Loves Plants, we've been working in the garden together, and that has really helped yes. her tomato consumption. Cherry tomato yes. right now is like there's nothing better. And when they eat the stuff off the vine, right? Oh, yeah. I know, so good. Teddy won't eat a tomato. But happily, like in a salad, anything in the house. Yep. Out in the garden, consuming mm. them as fast as he can pick them. Yep. It's so good for their uh, antibody systems. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm a huge 
get out in the garden. Yep. That's what you should mm-hmm. do. Yep. Okay, well, I am recommending this dry erase long division <laughs> board, which I know Ooh. sounds boring, but you guys, we have been struggling with division in this house and poor Oliver, my middle child. It's definitely part of the like executive functioning ADHD situation happening. He can do the math. Like at first I was like, oh, well, we don't have our multiplication facts down enough. So let's go back to that. No, that's not the problem. In long division, like remembering all the things to do. And you guys, I know there are like 400 different methods. I have tried them all. We have tried the guessing. We have tried this. We've tried the boxes. You name it, we guessed it. I got this board, the dry erase board. The link is in the show notes. It like has boxes for all of the things and the boxes are color coded. So when you fill in the division problem, like it kind of shows you like, okay, we do the yellows first and we put the number, you know, like eight times five, 40, write it down there. Then it shows you where to drop the numbers. And you guys, we have been working with this board for just one week and he can do the long division. So it was like, it just took the executive functioning out of it. Like I think his brain was so worried about where do I put all these things that it was like it couldn't also do the math. We usually don't have a lot of tears with math because we just, we do like our 15 minutes and we are where we are and there's no pressure and there's no whatever. But like we are at a point where we can't, like we moved on and did some fractions and then came back and we just have not been able to get this. And I think this just like solved our problem. So I am recommending this. The one I'm recommending actually comes with four different boards that have, it's it's two boards back and front. They're dry erase. I just give it to him when he's doing the math. He writes it on there. It's just wonderful. So if you're having a problem too, check it out. You could easily also draw this out on a piece of paper for them. I just don't have the time to do this 400 times drawing it out. So we just mm-hmm. write it on, uh, erase it, use it for the next problem. It's 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 been a game changer. How do you find this stuff? How do you know this exists? <laughs> yeah. Well, this one, I was like, somebody else on the internet must have this problem. And I've just been Googling like long division and ADHD, (laughs) long Uh division and executive functioning. And someone said they like drew this out. And then I was like, okay, this must exist in a form where I don't have to draw it out. And I went on Amazon and Googled like long division boxes (laughs) and this eventually came up. So I ordered it. I thought, all right, we'll give it a shot. And now... I'm saving all of you, dear listeners, the Googling. <laughs> Here's your solution. No, it may not work for everyone. But like, we've tried so many things, I thought, uh, you know, Jeff even said, like, great, one more thing. But it really just has has worked for us. So, good luck. Very cool. <laughs> Math is hard. And that's it for our show. Since we talked about suicide, we wanted to note if you or anyone you know are in crisis, you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline anytime by calling 988 or 988lifeline.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed on Thursday, so be sure to tune in. This episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting was produced by Rosemary Belson, Christy Taiwo Macanjula, Zach Rosen, and Kevin Bendis. For Amon Ismail and Zach Rosen, I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. Thanks for listening. <laughs>